at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of It's About the Yankees Stupid Podcast. My name is EJ Fagan and today I am joined by Scott Moss. Hey EJ, how you doing? I am doing great, Scott. Scott, I, I regret... Uh, that you weren't on our emergency podcast on Saturday because uh, I think it would have been fun uh, beating up on Randy Levine with you. I know, I know. I, I listened with envy after I heard that you guys did it and I just couldn't make it there in time. I, I had a student tell me that that because uh, she follows me on Twitter that because I – and I don't think she's a baseball fan at all. But that uh, because I wrote on Twitter that I got angry that she had to listen to it. Ah, excellent. Uh, so, Scott, so I'm curious, you know, just because you, you you weren't on to tell us your opinion of, uh, of what happened, uh, what do you think about the whole Batanzas Levine dust up? Yeah, well, <laughs> short answer is you guys covered it. This was horrible. Uh, I'll just add two additional ways it was horrible, even for the Yankees. Uh, first is that there are these stories, did you see those, where Tampa Bay manages to have players like it there. They have a some sort of quality of life uh, <laughs> thing going where they make people feel like there's a camaraderie, there's a team spirit, and they just want to be there. And the idea is that someone like Evan Longoria will sign an extension if he really just likes the organization. So maybe those work, maybe those don't. And there are a couple of things I've tried and some administrative roles I have at the law school that if you can do things that might be a plus but are really low effort or low dollar, then of course you do them. They're no-brainers, right? Anything they can make a player marginally, marginally more likely to want to sign an extension when you want him to or, you know, sign as a free agent in a couple of years when you want him to, that's a plus. The flip side is that if there's obviously something that's so unnecessary that is going to cost you that couple percentage chance that Evan Longoria or Batanza stays with your team, then you obviously don't do it. Now, there are things you have to do, like under the current system, go to arbitration, and that's inherently unpleasant. You have to talk about why the guy is worth less than he thinks. That's horrible, but baked into the system. But the gloating afterwards, it just strikes me as shooting themselves in the foot. Forget that it's mean to Batanzas and rude and dumb. It's just self-defeating. So honestly, if I'm Hank Steinbrenner, this is where you... Or how, you know, whatever. I mix my, um, you call him into a room and say, Randy, what the hell was that? You are hurting us. Please stop talking. Um, and the second way this hurts the team is that there's going to be somebody like Batanzas in the future. Let's call him Luis Severino, who might be a stellar reliever, but is not the closer, right? Mm-hmm. What you want is him to be happy and satisfied in his role as seventh, eighth inning guy, not closer, as fireman, perhaps. And not thinking, well, you know, you're just keeping me out of the closer role to deprive me of money and to hold me back. And the Yankees response to me, no, no, it's because we love you. And yeah, we have Chapman signed up for the next years, but the middle innings guy is and fireman role is just as important. We're not doing this to screw you. Well, they just decrease their argument that they're not screwing people by holding him back from the closer role. You know, in other words, they've made it harder to tell the next guy that you need to be flexible in a team player about whether you're the closer or the middle innings or late innings fireman 
um, because we respect those guys just as much. They just telegraph that they don't respect it as much, and it will screw them out of money. Yeah, I mean, just look at what um, like like Andrew Miller was able to do for the Cleveland Indians and the Yankees before that because he had already signed a long-term contract. Right. But there was no monetary incentive for him to, to push for a closer role. You could imagine Andrew Miller gets traded to the Cleveland Indians and you know he's in his arbitration years and he demands or at least you know makes some sort of you know strong recommendation that he has to be closing over Cody Reed. And, and, and that's something that happens every day on Major League teams. And if a team like the Yankees can overcome that inefficiency by with just a little bit of extra money, it's worth it to them. Um, and, and and it's not like Dylan Batances is just some Joe Schmo reliever, right? It is clear that he is that good. He is as good as Andrew Miller. He is as good as as you know as Aralds Chapman. Um, and also, kind of adding on to your point there, we didn't really talk about this on Sunday. The Yankees have a lot of players who are going to be coming up through arbitration soon. Greg Bird will be coming through arbitration after, I believe, one more season or two more seasons. Luis Severino, you mentioned. You mentioned all of the, the, the number one farm system in baseball who are going to be coming through through the arbitration process. And maybe the Yankees can do what they did for the longest time and kind of head off those those arbitration hearings with a with an early contract. Um, but maybe they won't. And, you know, the I don't think... The Yankees never strike me as one of those working environments that people don't like. I think a lot of players got traded to the Yankees and were happy about it. And it may just be that Randy Levine is just such a jackass that it, it, it you know, it, it just, you know, it, um, you know, dwarfs or pushes out all the goodwill from Joe Girardi and Brian Cashman and that whole part. Because I, I get, the, I, I get the sense that he, like all the way down to the minors, the Yankee baseball organization is classy. And players like it, and players want to play here. And then you just have a couple of assholes on the business end who think they know something about baseball, and they don't. And they should sit their ass down, and they should just go sell like like merchandise. And yeah. that's it. Um, that's what they're good at. That's not you know they are they are they have no they they have they they are not the reason why the Yankees are a successful organization. Yeah. Um, so. I think it's about we're not going to get too much into that. Oh, oh, actually, hell, while we're talking about it, we didn't talk about this on on, on Sunday. The ridiculous claim that Batanzas hurt the ticket sales for the Yankees. What the fuck was that? I mean, that was, it was there is Dylan Batanzas is a hometown hero and one of the best relievers in baseball. He didn't hurt ticket sales because he blew like two games in September. That is ridiculous. That is a an asinine thing to say. It's the kind of thing you say at an arbitration hearing when you're, ho- you're hoping the arbiter has no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, and speaking, wearing my lawyer hat for a second, right? There are arguments that are asshole-sounding arguments, and there are arguments that it's not quite clear they're true, but your client thinks they're true, so you say them in good faith. Sometimes you have to give the argument that, is debatable and most people won't believe you and that makes you sound like an asshole. This strikes me as going over that line to an argument that's such obvious bullshit that can only make you sound stupid. I mean, if we assume that it's about 90% likely the arbitrator is not a complete idiot. Yes, they value precedent, therefore value saves and old stats more, but if he's not a complete idiot, it's not likely that that argument helped them. It was just gratuitously throwing in the assholeness. Now, I have one other theory about Levine possibly, which is this. Most likely what's going on is Levine is a hothead or a self-indulgent little rich boy. But there's also a possibility they think of it like this, that we don't go to arbitration that often. Every negotiation with, you know, Bird coming up or whoever else is next down the line is 
an exercise in getting them to blink first. If we show that we go maximum asshole in arbitration and make life a living hell for the player and make them feel really shitty and embarrass them in the press, then boy, Greg Bird and others will think twice about filing for arbitration and not settling. Um, it sounds a little far-fetched, but I literally have heard the head in-house counsel, in-house attorney at a big company, say that, well, when someone leaves and they go to a competitor, you sometimes have only a crappy argument that they're violating your non-compete agreement, but you definitely sue them because it puts them on the bench of the new employer and it puts every other employee on notice that they're radioactive if they screw with you. This is literally what a guy said who's the head lawyer of a big company. And I had to not barf all over my table because this was a law school fundraising dinner where we wanted him to donate money. Um, so people do think like this. Rich, privileged people who run companies sometimes think. And in reality, it may be a dumb idea, but they're really just coming up with an excuse to satisfy their self-indulgent desire to screw employees like Levine has clearly as a former union buster and whatnot. I think that might have been part of what they're thinking is that let's just light them up and the next guy will think twice before getting greedy with the scraps from the table we throw them. I mean, it sounds like the army that's fighting a guerrilla war, and so they decide to, like, punish the population so that nobody will ever think about revolting against them again. And, of course, it always backfires, right? You're going to create solidarity among the players. The players are going to be looking out for themselves instead of looking out for the organization that they're a part of. I hope that the lesson from this is don't go to arbitration. If the Yankees have to spend some extra money to do that, they should spend some extra money to do that. Yep. All right, so I want to move on. Let's talk about about some real baseball. Um, we have reports out of out of uh, spring training, and I believe instructs uh, or instructs from uh, from September that Jorge Mateo has been working out in center field. Uh, Jorge Mateo, for you guys, for everybody who doesn't know, is a prospect. He is a shortstop at the moment, though he's been playing some second base. Um, however, he is behind on the depth chart at both of those positions positions behind Didi Gregorius and Gleyber Torres. And if Mateo does one thing great, he runs well. He is he is a true eighty runner. He stole something close to like ninety bases uh, in twenty fifteen in the minors. Um, Jorge Mateo, you know, it would be nice to have him as a shortstop. But players that fast rarely play shortstop. They usually put them. You usually put the Billy Hamiltons in the outfield. And Hamilton was a shortstop at one point, uh, where they will do better. So, Scott, my question for you is, is is Mateo the next long-term Yankee center fielder? And if not, who is the next long-term post-Ellsbury and Gardner Yankee center fielder? Yeah, this is a tough question because we've talked about prospects at different positions and we talked about the outfield prospects, but it somehow just slipped my mind that – they can have a lot of outfield prospects, but not have an obvious center field candidate. So we'll talk about different guys, but Mateo's an interesting one in that, yeah, Billy Hamilton is a pretty good comp, maybe. Um, Mateo, you know, as I remember the scouting reports, it's basically that he has plenty of arm for shortstop, so he'll have a solid center field arm check. He's super fast and pure agility is good at shortstop. That correlates with speed, but the actual speed will help more in center field. I think the knock on him is they said he was raw as a shortstop, which usually means bad hands. So you get to the ball, then you boot it, or, you know, your quick release screws it up. That's less of a premium in center. So he might be better suited for that. It's a very different position. But, yeah, given the backlog at shortstop of everybody they have, if there's a guy who could go to center field, they're actually lighter in center field than they are at shortstop, yeah. So, I mean, let's let's think about this for a little bit. So, Mateo is one option. I, I think we can go through all of the outfielders uh, that could possibly be the Yankee center fielder after Ellsbury. And let's just kind of go through and see which ones we think 
um, could be. So I'll just list them out right now. So here are the, the potential Yankee outfielders over the next couple of years. Jorge Mateo, Mason Williams, Clint Frazier, Dustin Fowler, Billy McKinley, Mike Trout. Um, <laughs> okay, we can trade all of those guys for Mike Trout, by the way. I'll do that. Yes. Um, so of those, let's let's go. Let's start here with uh, – let's just knock out Billy McKinney. I don't think Billy McKinney is a high-probability center fielder. He's probably a corner outfielder, and he's probably not a very good hitter. Um, so let's just narrow it down to Jorge Mateo, Mason Williams, Clint Frazier, Dustin Fowler. Uh, of these, which do you think is least likely to be a defensive center fielder? Let's not worry about offense for a second. It sounds like Frazier, and that's obviously the yeah, cast, so right? Because he's he's clearly the most likely to have the major league bat. And the catch is that if they're already musing that he might not be a center fielder, it reminds me of when there are reports out of single A, double A about some shortstop prospect that they say might not stay at shortstop. Whenever they say that, it pretty much means the guy's not going to stay at shortstop. And he's going to end up... If he doesn't have the range, he'll go to third base. If he doesn't have the arm, he'll go to second. Uh, could be somewhere else. But I suspect that there just aren't a lot of big quality hitters, guys who are large and have the muscle, who stay in center field. Because fr- quite frankly, they just lag behind the little fast guys as having the center field range. So... Frazier might pull it off. I hope they are doing something like, let's pull it all the stops to see if he could pull it off. Because if Frazier could be, Frazier likely will hit enough that if he's just close to average in center field, then he's a big plus player there. Because he's going to hit a heck of a lot better than the little fast guys who will probably play center field. And we can run down the list. So I hope they try in there. I'm just skeptical because they seem to already be telegraphing, yeah, he's a left or right fielder. I mean, I think he's he's kind of in the Ioannis Cespedes group where, like, if pressed, he could probably play center field while he's still young, but he's a long-term right fielder or left fielder. He's been playing mostly in the corners and the minors. He's played a little bit of center in the minors. So, yeah, I don't I don't think we should probably consider him for this. I think he's, he's Brett Gardner's long-term replacement. Yeah, that's probably right. All right, so let's move on to uh, – let's go to my favorite, uh, Mason Williams. Um, so – I'm actually curious, Scott. I don't know the answer to this. What's you, what is you? My opinion on Mason Williams is that he's a closet starter that people haven't realized that he can be like an Ender and CRT type out there. Um, but Scott, I'm curious. What what's your opinion on Mason Williams? Yeah, I think you and I are on the same page about Mason when we talked about him uh, a couple months ago. Which is that I think he's just gotten to age 25 without a starting job by being kind of screwed by circumstance. There are guys who just that happens to. Um, there are guys who get more screwed, to be sure. Um, there's a player a couple years back named, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, Ronnie Mustelier or something like that. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. him, yeah. And he was hitting a ton at AA, then AAA, and he was in line to at least compete for third base. And then he ran into a pole, getting a foul ball in spring yeah. training. And, and he, was, he, had, he was already like 28 or so by then, which was right, you know, a right. problem. He was a, he, he was a Cuban guy, but you know, he seemed like, look, it wasn't like he was definitely going to make it, but he was going to be on a big league roster. Odds were better than 50-50, and then he just never made it. Like, just his moment passed. Um, I feel like Mason hasn't gotten that hosed, but he's gotten a little hosed in that, yeah, he lost a year to having an attitude problem in the low minors, but then he did great in 2015, and he was still only 23 then. And then he had a shoulder injury, and now he has this patella tendon thing. So it's only two things, and center fielders get banged up, and the patella tendon thing seems minor. So I'm not ready to write him off as injury-prone, but... Yeah, I think he's earned it when a guy is hitting in the 290s without a high strikeout rate and playing a serious center field at AA and AAA. I think this guy's a serious prospect. I mean, just speaking of somebody who's had a recent patella tendon injury. Me too. Really? There we go, right? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I mine was bad enough that I had to get surgery, and it took me mm. about a year to really recover for, uh, from it. Now I'm not an athlete, and I wasn't I wasn't going through rehab like Mason Williams would. So let's. I mean, I, I'm a little more concerned about it, and it is concerning that he keeps getting banged up. Um, but you know, I, I look. I, here's what we know about Mason Williams: he's a really good defensive player. We know that he has hit in the high minors and the majors. You know, well enough. You know, he, he hasn't really hit for a lot of power, but he doesn't strike out a lot. That's something he's maintained th- throughout his entire career. He walks a little bit. You know, he, he hits, you know, doubles and triples, so he's not a complete slap hitter. I'm a little concerned that he basically hasn't hit for a home run since 2012. In, tw- in 2012, it looked like he could be like an almost Bernie Williams type. I mean, he hit 11 home runs in 90 games. You know, the people thought that he was building a power, and that never really materialized. You know, I think the biggest problem is that um, he's uh, he just he just needs to stay healthy, and he's been he's had a lot of like weird injuries, injuries that he hasn't been able to do much with. Uh, with. He hurt his shoulder diving, I believe, in 2015, and if he hadn't hurt his shoulder diving, I think he'd be his starting player in the in the on the on, in the majors right now. He was hitting at the time 286, 318, 571 through his first eight major league games after really being a star Triple A that year. Um, so I have a lot of faith in Mason Williams. I I don't. I think he's going to be blocked, and I don't think he's the kind of player who will force Ellsbury out of the position. Although I'm not convinced he's worse than Ellsby or Ellsbury at this point. No, and if nothing else, <laughs> I kind of agree with you in that Ellsbury's curve is trending downward, and even if Mason Williams' ceiling isn't that high, it's a guy who will hit 280 without a ton of power, power, but play a good center field. I think Ellsbury is either worse than that guy or is trending quickly toward worse than that guy in another year or so. And this is a transition team, right? They could be okay this year, but the next there's a chance the 2018 Yankees are much better as they consolidate their players and if they keep Tanaka or replace them or something. You know, finding out whether Mason Williams is for real when he's already 25, turning 26, should be a priority for them. And I'll go further, which is that if he's not better than Ellsbury now, in what way is Aaron Hicks better than he is? I think they're very similar players. I mean, I think... I think Aaron Hicks has some platoon potential, but you know, I, I think I, they're very similar players, both at the plate and in like overall quality. But Aaron Hicks um, can't really fake it. He's an excellent right fielder, as I can tell, but and has the arm. But I don't. I think what we're seeing now is that they're short of a center fielder, and he played a little center field this past year, but he was more faking it, I think, than Williams would be. Yeah, and so like I would not be shocked if Mason Williams breaks camp with the team. Let's say Aaron Judge has a bad camp or gets injured or something. And, you know, they don't want to put Matt Holiday out there. You know, I think he's your, he kind of rotates with Aaron, with Aaron Hicks a little bit. And that's your, that's your team a little bit. Yeah, and I think um, also makes the Williams again because he's 25 turning 26 this year. He's earned the chance, but it's fair to say this is his last chance, but a big chance in that, look, if after a month or two he's hitting 240 <laughs> with no power and not a lot of walks, then you can say, you know what, this was your chance. You're as seasoned as you're going to be. You're done. Um, kind of like they should have said with Aaron Hicks halfway through last year. But, you know, there's a decent chance that he ends up being that guy who hits 280, 290 with speed and good defense. And then who's your better option in center field right now? No one. I, I mean, I, Burke Gardner, basically. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, so I think it's about enough about Mason Williams. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I, you know, I, I'd like to um, I'd like to see what happens in spring training. Uh, he's he's one of those players I'll be watching during the, the spring training games. And I think the Yankees will signal their interest in him based on where they play him. Is he starting games? Is he coming into, coming into games? Those kind of things. Um, so next up, let's, uh, let's talk about Dustin Fowler. Um, what do you – do you think Dustin Fowler – all right, so background. Dustin Fowler, 
double A player last year, is one of those guys who's super athletic and gets rave reviews from everybody. The results on the hitting side aren't necessarily there. They're they're kind of batting averagey or or uh, batting average with a little bit of power, but not a lot of play discipline. Um, but uh, everybody thinks he's a pretty good defensive player, and he's one of those players that a lot of people are forecasting for the majors, even though it's kind of hard to see in the stat line. Scott, what do you think about Dustin Fowler? Is he the sleeper here? I don't think so. I've been lower on him. Now, again, I'm not a pro scout. I haven't even seen clips of him because, you know, they don't make the rounds too much from AA. I'll say this, though, which is that I tend to be skeptical of this category of player who was not initially a highly touted prospect. He was in the 18th round. Um, He's six feet and thin, so not particularly strong. Sure, he's athletic, as a lot of these guys are. That's why he can play center field and super for that. But his profile is that he's a guy who makes contact, but he's not quite an elite contact hitter. His minor league average has been basically a steady 280, give or take, with some minimal ups and downs. And then he doesn't hit for much power, uh, not much more than Mason. Uh, Last year was his all-time high at 12 on the season. His speed is okay, but his stolen base rate, blue. Um, He doesn't draw a lot of walks. So he seems like one of those tweener guys that if you just stare at you know, he hit okay overall. 770 OPS is good, and AA isn't rookie league, so it's an accomplishment. But he's starting to remind me of guys like Jake Cave, Rob Refsnyder, maybe Tyler Austin, guys who hit just enough that you can look and say, oh, this guy has a promising bat, but there's no real elite contact skill, no real power, so boy, this person better be a total defensive whiz. Now, he may, he obviously has more defensive prowess than Refsnyder, who had this kind of hitting yeah. ability and no defensive skill. But, and oh, by the way, who was the guy they traded to Seattle who was basically the same corner outfielder who got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Gamble. Ben Gamble, right. Like, these guys just grow on trees. The guys are going to so 280 I, I to 290. I agree a little bit. I mean, I, I, those are players who are all like, I, we're all kind of like sort of hit ability players, players who had a good feel for the game and played above their tools. I think Fowler's almost the opposite, where he seems to be playing down from his tools a little bit right now, that he has these like. Fight, like first first round caliber, you know, speed and arm and, and power and all that. It just never doesn't really get all together there. And so, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I don't, I don't know which one I prefer. I mean, those three guys you named didn't do so well, but there are there are plenty of players in the majors who who kind of play up a little bit. Um, you know, I, I to me, I think the problem is is once he gets to really advanced pitching, is can he still hit or hit enough um, to to be you know to take a plus you know plus defensive skills and turn turn it into the majors. The reviews right now, like on like a Baseball America and those types of places, are really strong. So when when the you know when Ben Cowles or someone or whoever's still you know uh, JJ Cooper or whoever's you know doing you know BA stuff for the Yankees these days, um, you know goes out and 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 and, and surveys um, you know the all the Yankee you know all the other teams in, in in the Eastern League and says who do you like? They say Dustin Fowler. Um, but I mean that that's something that like a loud tools player would 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 be. I don't know who I'd compare him to. I was thinking a little bit about like like Jarrett Parker on the Giants right now, or I'm trying to think of somebody from like more recent Yankee past that, that had those tools. Slate Heathcott maybe, I think is probably a better, a better comparison, even though he doesn't have the health problem, which is nice. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I have some faith in, in Fowler. I mean, I, it, it sounds like he's got a decent floor where like he's, he, you know, worst case scenario, he's kind of a, an okay hitting fourth outfielder type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be, and he's worth giving a shot to, certainly. But oh, the other guy I was thinking of is Zoilo Almonte. Who, um, well, but yeah, but he, he had no defense. Yeah, but the hitting tool just didn't play up, and it was much the same skill. Where he hit, you know, mostly ten to fifteen home runs in the minors. 
He had 270 to 300 in the minors. He had a little speed, but not much. And then this, the bat just didn't play in the majors when he translated up. Now, not all guys with the same number profile are the same, so I'm not writing him off. I'm just saying that I tend to be you know, less optimistic when I see hits in the 280s with not too much power and not elite speed either. Well, okay, let me let me now. I guess I'm more positive about Dustin Fowler than I thought. Like, so remember that he's hitting. This is his. This is these are. This is his batting line in, in AAA. 281, 311, .458. So the plate discipline is really the problem there. 12 home runs, 15 uh, third, uh, triples, 30 doubles. That's a lot of power, especially at Trenton, right? I mean, this is something I always try to like hammer home about Yankee um, pro- hitting prospects is that Trenton is like a brutal, brutal place. Uh, for for a hitting prospect to hit for power, um, you know, just to give you the park factors there. I mean, it, it's got a ninety uh, park factor for both lefties and righties, um, which isn't isn't great. But for lefties and Fowler's a lefty, it's got a seventy eight home run factor. That's extreme. But that's a good point hit for power at, at that at, at that ballpark, especially earlier in the year. And that's a good point. And that makes me more believe that thirty doubles and fifteen triples might reflect that. You know, eight of those might have been home run somewhere else, and then you're a 20 home run guy. Maybe right, right. I mean, like it, it, that's possible. And also remember, like there's a juice ball in the majors and not in the minors, and certain certain hitting profiles are going to play up more. Um, and maybe Fowler has that profile. I mean, I, this is what I've written about, about, you know, with Gary Sanchez a bunch. That the guys who have kind of that like doubles and sort of home run power, who you know will be hitting a lot of you know, in normal times will be hitting a lot of balls off the wall. Those guys are the ones that benefit the most from the the juice ball and not the big home run hitters. And so maybe maybe that's Dustin Fowler. I mean, there's you can you can look at a lot of players last season who were called up from AAA in the International League, and all of a sudden their offensive numbers went way up. And, and Gary Sanchez is, isn't the only one of them. Um, and so like that that to me is um, makes me more confident about Dustin Fowler. The AAA hitting environment is much more neutral. I mean, it's still actually a, a bit of a of a, um, of a pitcher's park, but it's not, not nearly as bad. So we'll see a little more this year. And, you know, there's no reason to, like, get too excited about him yet. Like, we're, we're, he's got a AAA, and there's, there's, the Yankees aren't going to rush to call up Dustin Fowler. They've got plenty of names in front of him that they can call up before they have to. I don't believe he's even on the 40-man roster. So this is kind of a discussion at table. Um, though I, I guess I, I, I'll keep going with it and add that he was only 21 last year, still pretty young for AA. Um, you know, I, I, he's only this is only his second full season in the minors. All good news. Yeah, so you're sort of turning me around on him, at least in that I I think he needs to show more growth of the sort that he actually did show last year. I just didn't realize that at a facial first look. And, you know, given his age, he just turned 22, I feel like next year is make or break for Mason Williams to actually have a career, right? But it's not really for Dustin Fowler because he's going to be uh, a guy who just turned 22 at AAA. If he has a slow start, he can have the full year at AAA this year and then maybe even a little of next year. So, you know, yeah, I'm now more curious now that you turn me around a bit to see what he does this coming year. All right. So last but not least, Jorge Mateo. We talked about him a little bit. Here's what I'm curious. Do we think Jorge Mateo can hit? I think Jorge Mateo can hit. I was really excited at the beginning of last season when he started off the season with like a really kick-ass like like first month and a half and then just cratered. Had reported attitude problems. Um, you know, there there was people were not happy with Jorge Mateo last year. But his first between I think the beginning of, of last year and the end of the twenty fourteen of the twenty fifteen season, he hit like three thirty with a ton of home runs at at at, uh, at uh, high A. Like he he had a really good time at high A to begin with before kind of cratering. Um, a lot of the prospect lists still have a lot of faith in him. So 
I, I still think there's something there. Yeah, he's still only 21. One turned 22 until just before the All-Star break. So this is a young to be at AA. Um, so I'd say, yeah, I, I kind of buy it because his strikeout rates um, are on the slightly high side for a guy who's not a power hitter. But his walk rates are okay. He walks just enough that this one strike out of every five, 20% rate doesn't hint that he has no idea where the strike zone is. And he has, you know, the speed to eke out some infield hits. He did have eight home runs last year in just 113 games. So not that he's going to kill it, but that's enough that he does, it seems, hit the ball reasonably hard. Um, So, yeah, I'm kind of still sold on him having a lot of potential. Obviously, a year ago, they thought about him, what we thought of Gleyber Torres now. And Torres has jumped the line, but it's sort of artificial to say he's the second best shortstop prospect when... The first is Gleyber Torres, who's now showing up as a top 20-ish prospect in all of baseball. So I still think he has a chance to turn it around. Um, yeah, so I agree. All right, so moving on, we're going to just go through some other quick news. Um, Mitt Romney is considering buying a minority stake in the New York Yankees. <laughs> okay. All right, moving on. Um, Alex Rodriguez uh, is likely to be a Yes Network commentator uh, in the coming year. Uh, best commentator on the network? I think he could be. I mean, he speaks well. He knows a ton about baseball. He's a smart guy. I forget which postseason thing it was they had as the two former players with the news guys. It was A-Rod and Pete Rose. And Pete oh, that Rose, was wonderful. That oh, was yeah. just – it was I, it was so unintentionally hilarious that Pete Rose is just, you know, I'll – pay some courtesy to other folks in their 70s and assume that it isn't age that Pete Rose was always just that much of a dummy. Um, and a- it was just striking that you have two former players and one guy is the smartest guy at the big round table and the other guy is the total dullard. A- yeah, Rose, I, mean, you know, I, I thought you know, Pete Rose said some interesting stuff, though. I, I remember, I, I'm not thinking really? the round table, thinking when the two of them and Frank Thomas were like, were just like staying out of play talking about hitting for 20 minutes. Do you remember this? It might have been that. Wasn't, wasn't Rose, it's all stale, like I'm as well, but wasn't Rose saying something idiotic, like today's players have it soft? Well, I mean, I'm sure he said something like that because he's Pete Rose, but he also had this, he had, I remember he had this really interesting thing about, um, you know, he where he would step in the zone. So he would position himself in the box differently by pitcher. And A-Rod was saying, like, I never thought about that. That's actually kind of cool. Um, and, you know, it, you know, Pete Rose, as weird and, and dumb as he is, um, you know, I, or <laughs> dumb isn't the right word. As an old cranky bygone man, uh, broken, we might say, I, I want to say that that's also not nice. Pete Rose, uh, comes across a certain way, but this is the guy who has more major league hits than any other player, right? Like he has, he has some baseball wisdom that he can, he can confer. And it was just really cool watching three of the better hitters ever. Yeah. Just kind of sit there and talk about hitting. And, I, the thing about A-Rod on the Yes Network is he's almost too big for the Yes Network, right? Like, he's 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 like the MLB Network Fox commentator guy, and he's going to be, like, slumming it with, you know, Joe, you know John Flaherty you know, 10 but times that's, or something. I think that's the beauty of it. I mean, the damage control that you sometimes see is celebrities doing charitable work or whatnot. And this isn't charitable, but they just had a ceremony in Miami where he donated money and there's a building or something named after him now. And I think this is a way to get out in the public eye and have the fans like him more again. You know, he remind me of a lot is David Cohn in that you listen to David Cohn and he has the former player insight, but normally the trade-off is 
You have a former player who doesn't read up on things, uh, but will give you insight about the stance or what the guy's probably thinking at the moment. And there's value to that. I like that, actually. Um, but Cohen actually will mention something he read on Fangraphs or something random like that. Um, and I feel I like a would, would, too. I would yeah, be I shocked would. If, a- if A-Rod will be that kind of commentator. Yeah, exactly. I mean, here's the thing. If I were... A-Rod is also, you know, a very vain human being. I don't really have a problem with that. But if you're if you assume that A-Rod has some image consultant or is smart enough to be his own image consultant, think, what should I do to become beloved again, as opposed to being Barry Bonds, who went from being douchey all-time hitter to just as douchey in exile where nobody wants to hear from him again because he can't you're turn it off. hitting coach that, that manages to piss off John Carlos Stanton. Right, exactly, exactly. So A-Rod needs to take gigs that show he's not too big for his britches, like sit next to John Flaherty and Michael Kay or whatever, you know, and just talk in a normal way about baseball and not be, hello, I'm A-Rod. You may know me from such records as hitting all those home runs on steroids, right? He needs to... I mean, I, I think, I, this is kind of weird to say, but I think this increases his Hall of Fame chances. Just being out there in the media and like people begin to like him again. I think that's going to be a big, like five years from now, that's, that's, going, to, that's going to impact, you know, the, the number of votes he gets. Yeah. All right, so speaking of uh, Pete Rose and cranky old men, Goose Gossage <laughs> said stupid things. Uh, so, Scott, what do you first explain the Goose Gossage? I think it was the Mariano Rivera comments or, or just relief pitching comments. And uh, give me your quick opinion on it. Yeah, so some reporter, in case you didn't read it, got an interview with Goose Gossage, who was there as a guest instructor. Okay, you, well, just some background. Goose Gossage is one of those guys that, that like, random people like us – Get emails every once in a while, being like, "Do you want to email? Do you want to interview Goose Gossage and hear his thoughts about baseball?" So, like, you know, Goose Gossage. I don't know why he does this. I don't know if he needs money or if he gets any money for these things. But he's constantly offering himself out there to nobody. Continue. Yeah. So I was thinking that. So he's he gave these cranky comments about it. today's closers have it easy because they only throw one inning, and we threw a lot of innings, more in a year, more in each game. So don't even talk to me about Mariano as the best closer ever because he's not like guys like me and Fingers and Mike Marshall who threw a lot of innings, um, et cetera. So he was, he was very angry about it. There were a lot of F-bombs. And what I wonder is this, which is that the way to get someone like Gossage to make news, if you're the reporter, is to just sound really sympathetic and wind him up. And this reporter screamed that he was just sounding suckily just to get the awesomely <laughs> self-aggrandizing quotes. So this is, I'm not proud of this, but I was a freshman in college. There was a guy in my dorm, I won't say his name, and he was extremely conservative, including on some gender things. And he was also a super nice guy and he didn't want to offend people. So he didn't say what he thought about gender roles and whatnot. So I decided that he didn't know my politics. I was going to pretend I was really of the same views as him just to get him to open up about what he thinks women should be doing in society and life. And let's just say that once I acted like I put a Pat Buchanan for president bumper sticker on oh, my dorm God. room door just to create increase the credibility of my super spy operation of talking to this dude. And then we started – I walked to class with him rather than ride my bike just so we could chat. And – you know, about traditional American values and stuff. And then there came to be comments about, like, women serving men in the dorms. Ha ha, that'd be great. That I got out of him just by acting sympathetic. Now, this is a horribly... At some point, it became clear that whatever he said, no matter how assholey, I was actually the asshole in this conversation. I fully get that. I was being a horrible 18-year-old who thought he was a super spy, but... And then I reported back to the dorm that what 
this dude says when he thinks he doesn't have to be polite anymore about women and whatnot. Um, I, you could smell from this interview with Goss is that this guy was asking questions like, yeah, because didn't you guys throw many innings in some games? He said, are you kidding? We did that all the time. Right? I really think this guy was just trying to wind up Gossage and sort of troll him into see if I can get Gossage to talk shit about Mariano Rivera. And he actually did. So kudos to the trolling for this reporter. Yes. If we ever have Goose Gossage in this podcast, we won't. Uh, we will be I, sure I, to debate him. I'm I, 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 I I very, very willing to debate uh, old players. <laughs> but I think one thing I'll say is here's the thing. You know, the old saying that, you know, even, even the blind squirrel finds a nut from time to time. And the one thing he's right about is he was saying that we'd come in any inning. If there are men on the seventh, we'd come in. They didn't save us for the ninth if we're the best pitcher on the team. So he, you know, the one thing he was, by the way, that's what I'm saying is the one thing he was actually right about, um, you know, but that's just, it's not that he, it was really just the rightness of he's saying everything was better when I pitched. Um, and most of the things that he thinks were better were not. But there's one thing that he's accidentally right about. Um, but I will say this, though. I have trouble being angry at him because here's why. Can you imagine how pissed these guys are who spent most of their careers earning five-figure salaries where, hey, solid living, whatnot, but not within their lifetimes, like not long after they retired. He might have been – he played really a while until he's 40 or something. I think he retired right before you had things like the major league minimum is a half million dollars and – you know, Ulysses Jassin, crappiest starter in all baseball, just signed for $1.75 million. How pissed must Gossage be that just by being born not that many years too early, he just missed being rich for life, and he has to do things like get paid 500 bucks to come to your bar mitzvah to talk about baseball or something to make a living now? I actually just looked it up. He made $10 million over the course of his career. <laughs> he did? Like, oh, he just shut up. Okay, never mind. Never mind. But the thing is, there was still collusion going on in the 1980s. Like, that wasn't that long ago. That the major league, um, like, like major league teams were literally saying, no one but these guys get to bid on this free agent. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm totally with you there. Um, you know, last but not least, quick news item. We got uh, A-Rod's been in camp. He's going to be in camp for three or four days early on and three or four days later on. Um, I, that sounds like a little bit more than like the, the, the Reggie Jackson role, which I think sounds pretty good. Um, you know, he said that, you know, the first time he just kind of wanted to get to know the players and get them to, to kind of uh, you know, to, to be comfortable with him. And Jeter did kind of a similar thing. I don't know you, though. Like, I really wish that A-Rod was like, was like walking into like a – they don't actually do, live here, but like in like a, like a – you know, boot camp style dormitory at 6 a.m. with a whistle, be like, get up, you maggots. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just picturing that as A-Rod. Or, and A-Rod would do that without anyone telling him to do it. He would just be like, all right, I'm going. Like that, that's, that's who I wish A-Rod was, and it kind of makes me want A-Rod to be um, a, a, a hitting coach, uh, even though he stayed, he's not interested. Goose Gossage would definitely do that. What they should do is take guys who are basically <laughs> not going to be prospects anymore, like Billy McKinney and others, and actually do set them up in a dorm with Goose Gossage just to see if, you know, the yell at them in this succeeding theory would work. And then you just make a reality show out of it and put it on the MLB network, right? Goose's Boots. Boose, Goose's Boot Camp or something. Oh, God. All right. Watch well, it. on that note, Scott, thank you for joining me. If you guys Thanks like this, you can read, review us on iTunes. We're really the, – the podcast has really grown lately. We're really happy about this. I forgot to mention this already because I'm not good at this whole ad thing. We are sponsored by SeatSwapTickets.com. You can go to SeatSwapTickets.com slash members and use the promo code SWAP if you'd like to uh, like to register for their beta. Uh, they allow you to take your, your season tickets, trade them to uh, uh, for, uh, for other tickets that other people might have. 
Um, it's a really cool service. We'll be sure we're actually going to have the creator of Seat Swap Tickets on the podcast pretty soon. Um, his name is Dan. He's a great guy um, to kind of tell us a little bit about his service. So sorry, didn't read that earlier. Probably not going to edit it in. Uh, so sweet, sweet swap, seatswaptickets.com. Oh, you almost got through it saying it correctly every single time. Last oh, God, week. it's hard. There's three, too many syllables. All right. Uh, I don't, it's all right. We're working on it. That's why we're not sponsored by, by Coca-Cola right now. Um, please, if you like this podcast, please tell your friends about it. Please share it with them. If your friends have a commute and they're Yankee fans and they're excited for spring training games to begin tomorrow, please share this podcast with them. We really appreciate it. For Scott, I am EJ. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.